everything that you have been taught about money being evil, that people who have money are greedy, or that even your own desire to earn and have and keep more money is bad. It's all a lie. I have been working with clients for years and I have discovered five money lies that seem to permeate their thoughts, seem to get in the way of their success. And today we're debunking them. These lies keep you feeling broke and defeated, feeling like there is no way to change the path that you're on when it comes to money. In episode 19, I shared the first three lies and today I'm getting real with you on the last two. And if you have ever felt like you just aren't good with money, there's just no getting around it. No matter how much you've tried, you just can't do it. You're going to want to listen to the end. It's time to turn your dream into bold action. As a Christ-centered coach and mentor to women changing the world, I firmly believe that we all have a gift given to us by God, and we are meant to share that gift with the world. Your gift was given to you to help make others' lives better. Let's turn your passion into an authentic and profitable business that reflects who you are at your core. Welcome to the Dream Launcher Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Ferrara. I'm so excited that you've decided to join today in my last of a four-part series on money and why so many Christians just walk around feeling broke and not blessed. I'm going to dive into the last two of five lies that most Christians or a lot that I hang out with and have been around and have coached truly believe. On episode 18, I shared hacks to help Christians earn more money. And then in episode 19, I shared with you that I had discovered these five lies that just seem to permeate the Christian belief system. These lies keep you living paycheck to paycheck and feeling broke and defeated. They leave you feeling like there's just no way to change the financial trajectory of your life. No way to keep more money in your bank account. No way to succeed. Last week, I was really sick and my voice was really froggy and nobody needed to hear that. So I dug into my archives and I pulled out an interview that I did a couple of years ago with Stephen DeSilva. He is a thought leader in the world of Christian money beliefs and financial planning. If you didn't catch that episode, go on back to episode 20 when you're done here. We dug into not just the surface of the beliefs that we have, but actually a demonic influence called the spirit of poverty that could actually be running rampant in your life and you don't even know it. And today I get real with you on the last two lies that I've discovered through working with my clients that truly gets in the way of their success. And even when they feel successful, that sense of well-being that they have arrived in some way or achieved that success. Yes, even clients who have hit that coveted $10,000 a month mark and even clients who are running multiple six-figure businesses, they still struggle with these beliefs. Even when they're consistently signing new clients, they're consistently selling their product. Money is coming in month after month, yet they still feel that sense of lack or that they just don't measure up. More money does not solve these problems. It actually amplifies it. When you get to break these lies and release yourself to earn more, 
you get to not only earn more, but you get to give more than ever before and save more, maybe even save for the very first time. So what keeps so many Christians from living this life of prosperity, specifically the financial prosperity? There seem to be five primary lies that Christians believe about money that contribute to them feeling the sense of lack or experiencing true lack. They just don't have enough money coming in. Or as soon as it comes in, it goes right on back out. They believe one or more of these five lies. One, money is evil. Two, people who have money have taken it from those who do not have it. Three, wanting more money is greedy. We covered those in episode 19. So today, let's talk about the last two. Number four, money is finite. There is only so much to go around. And number five, you just aren't good with money. All right. Lie number four. Money is finite. There is only so much to go around. Is there really one certain amount of money? Like there's only this finite amount, this one pile of money, and that's all we have in the world. And it must be divided up among all who are here on this earth. And it can't be made again. And more can't be made. Is that true? There is only this one, think of a pie. There's only one pie. And once everybody has their slice of the pie, no more pie. Well, let's see. If you ask the government, it seems to be they would tell you no, that it's not finite. We'll just print more. If you ask your parents, they might tell you yes. Maybe you grew up hearing there is only so much money in the world. In the world, There's only so much to go around. But is that true? I do believe that this is akin to or related to lie number two around if I have money, I've taken it from somebody who doesn't have any money. Or if I have money, then you can't have any money because I have it. I've got it all. I'm hoarding it. But that's not true. I haven't. What I've done is offered a service. Let's say I'm talking about my web design services. I make an offer. I'll design your website for $50 an hour. I provide an estimate of how long that will take me to, to create your site, about how many hours that will take. And after we've agreed upon how many pages and what the content's going to be and just the nature of the project. So I provide you an estimate. And then you say, hey, I like that estimate. It sounds great. Let's do it. So then I send you a contract and an invoice for the deposit. So have I taken anything from you? If you then go pay that deposit, did I really take it? Or did you give it to me willingly, ready to pay for services that you don't want to spend time learning yourself, doing yourself, that You'd rather spend time in your own zone of genius doing the thing that you do instead of learning web design. Is it really an unfair trade? Let's say you paid me $250 to get started for that deposit. That's five hours of the work. This is $50 an hour. Now that you've paid me that $250, will you forever be short $250? Would your bank account always show a negative $250? No. At some point, you're going to get paid again. And then you have more money to choose to buy more services with. And 
you probably actually earned more than the 250. But even if you didn't, the potential is there, right? You can always go out and make more money. You can always go out and sell something, earn more money. And what's cool is that even though you paid me $250, it doesn't mean that that stops here with me. I'm not hoarding that money. I've earned $250 and I'm going to provide services to you for it, but then I'm going to go use that $250 to maybe purchase services within my own business. Maybe I'm going to pay myself into my personal account because I'm going to pay myself out of my business and then I'm going to go buy groceries with that money. Well, it doesn't sound like there was anything negative with that, right? I actually saw a TikTok recently from a content creator. His name is It's Bobby Op, uh, Bobby the Alchemist, encouraging people to spend cash when they go to local small businesses. And I loved what he had to say because the way he described it was he was going to take his wife out on a date and they were going to go have dinner and he was going to spend a $50 bill. And he used that example of spending that $50 bill on a great dinner that they were going to enjoy. And that local restaurant owner gets to keep all $50 of that to then use within their, their business. Now, if you paid with a debit card or a credit card, they don't get to keep, keep all $50 of it because there are credit card fees associated with that. So they keep, let's say, $48 of that $50. Maybe it's a little less, but we're going to keep it in whole numbers here. So if you go spend that $50 at the restaurant and then the restaurant, maybe they make change and that $50 bill goes to somebody who paid a $100 bill, right? But that $50 goes to somebody else. And then they get to go spend that $50 at the grocery store. And then somebody else gets that $50 and they get to go spend that somewhere else. When you spend cash, you always have that cash. Sure, in a business, there are other expenses, but we're keeping the things simple here. If you think about the credit card fees, if I spend $50 at my local mom nutrition hub where I love to go get my teas and my shake, for breakfast a lot. If I go spend that in on a credit card, then Anna, the owner, does not keep that $20 that I might spend on that. She keeps a little bit less than that because she has a fee. She might actually have two fees because I see this in my business. I have a fee for processing the card depending on how somebody pays me. And then I have a fee when I move that money into my bank account. So there's double dipping happening there on the fees. But if somebody paid me cash or gave me a check, which is basically cash, I keep all of it. There's no fee. So that was just one example of a way that you can actually help small businesses. And maybe I've gotten a little off topic, but I don't think so. Because again, the restaurant did not take your $50. You willingly gave it for a meal that you enjoyed. And I think that's the shift in the mindset, right? So if you decide you're going to go and you're looking for a coach, a business coach, you can look at their fees or the investment that you're going to make with them. So call it a fee, call it a cost, call it an investment. All of those are different ways and actually reflect how you think about it more than it does the money itself. 
in marketing with our businesses, we are taught, don't use it costs, don't use those words of cost or fee or um, the payment, right? It's always in terms of investment. I will say when it comes to coaching, when you're investing in upping your skills, when you're investing in knowledge, you're purchasing a course, you're investing in yourself because you're going to take that information. And if you do it right, I'm going to say, if you actually use the information and this new knowledge that you have, and it doesn't just get absorbed into your brain and it sits there and then you never take action on it. But if you take action on it, if you don't take action on it, then yes, you have just, it's cost you to take that course. But if you take that course and you do what the coach said and you implement the things that they tell you to do, that is an investment because you are going to get a return. Let's say you join the Dream Launcher membership. You are going to have an investment in that month after month as a member. But there is so much training in there that if you invest the time as well as the money to actually take the courses that are in the Dream Launcher membership and implement what I teach you, you are going to possibly build a website. You are going to possibly create a summit that adds leads to your email list that then leads to purchasing people, purchasing your product from you. You're going to learn how to create your own course. If that's what you choose to do, you can learn how to do that. And then I teach you how to market it so that people will purchase your course. So all of those things, if you just join the membership, but you never open the course, you never watch a video, you never implement anything that you've learned. Let's say you watch all the videos and they're all fantastic. But then you never implement anything. It could be considered a waste, but I still didn't take the money from you. You still chose to do that willingly. So the mindset here of money being finite as if there's just not any more to be made, it's just false. Because when you spend money on the right things, it can create a return for you. If you invest in knowledge and then use that knowledge, that investment, the dollars that you invested in that are not lost. You didn't just throw them out the window. You invested in yourself and you learned something and you implemented it. I think this can also come into play as far as it being finite when you think about budgeting, when I say the word budget, what do you hear? You hear restriction, right? You hear, I can't, right? But if you change that, the same practice of planning where your money is going to go, that's what a budget is, is looking at what you have coming in and planning where you're going to, where you're going to allocate it, how you are going to spend it. If you change that mindset from this is not a restrictive budget, but this is a spending plan. It is how I plan to spend my money, save my money. Maybe it's, it's, it's about how you're going to allocate every dollar that comes in. That's very different and it's a different approach and it even feels different to think about it that way because I know I'm going to have to spend money. Budget feels like I got to scrimp and save every penny and I'm not allowed to have fun, right? That's what we think of when we think of budgeting. Unless you're a numbers person and you absolutely love budgeting. But when you flip that to a spending plan and you say, this is how I'm going to spend my money. 
I'm going to spend my money on rent or mortgage. I'm going to spend my money on my car note. I'm going to spend my money on groceries. I'm going to spend a portion of my money to buy some health supplements that I like to use every month. I'm going to take this portion of my money and I'm going to set it aside. I'm not going to spend it now. I'm going to save it to spend later. Creating savings. And I'm going to take this other portion of my money and I'm going to put it in this other account that is for vacation. So again, I'm going to save, but I'm saving for a specific purpose. So I'm putting it in this vacation account so that I can spend it on vacation. When you look at it from a spending perspective, and when you look at it from an investment perspective, whether you're investing in the stock market or you're investing in your own education and yourself and your own ability to, to make yourself more marketable, to learn new skills, to do something better than you've ever been able to do it before. Those are things that are not a waste. And when you do those things, somehow money becomes infinite, not finite, but infinite. There are infinite possibilities of ways to make more money if that's what you need to do. The thing is, you can't just make it and spend it. You have to make it and plan where you're going to spend it. So there's that planning part that needs to happen to ensure that you get to truly enjoy it and not stay in that sense of lack and really be with lack only because you're spending it as fast as it's coming in. You have to have some forward thinking. And it's only when you don't have that forward thinking and you don't plan and you don't you don't look at every dollar that comes in and says, do I really need to spend this right now on this thing right now? There are plenty of things that we buy every single day or at least every week that maybe we really don't need. Or maybe, maybe we need it, but I don't need it for two more weeks, so I don't have to buy it right now. Or maybe I want it, but I can wait until I feel like there's more cushion in my budget or to be able to really, you know, spend on that. So there's different ways to look at it, but ultimately money is infinite. And when you feel like there's just no way that I can make any more, there is always a way to make more money. And we just have to be open to the possibilities of how that might happen. So again, you can go back to episode 18 where I shared several opportunities and several ways that you could actually add multiple streams of income into your life. All right. Our final lie, lie number five, you just aren't good with money. Your upbringing, the conversations you heard about money, or even when you never heard your parents talk about money or having to pay bills or spending money or the discussions that they had around making big purchases of how they would spend their money. It all influences your beliefs about money and your ability to manage and plan the money. Anyone can learn how to budget, how to plan for the future, how to save, and even how to make good decisions with money. But not everybody has been taught how to do that. Okay, this is like the episode of TikToks. I'm going to link both of them in the show notes because you got to go watch them. 
my mom shared this TikTok with me this weekend. It's a third grade teacher. And of course the title, I think she was actually in the news because then it was third grade teacher makes her, makes her students pay rent. Of course it was a bit of clickbait, right? But I will link this in this because this one's fantastic. Okay. So to reinforce behaviors in the classroom and to also teach some real world budgeting and critical thinking skills, this teacher has implemented an amazing um, extra project in her class. She's implemented actual paychecks for her students. They get paid every week based on, and everybody gets paid a certain thing based on jobs that they are given in the classroom. And there are things that could happen that could actually reduce their paychecks. Say they get caught and get in trouble bullying on the playground, then things are going to be deducted from their paycheck, some certain amount of money. What I loved was that this teaches one responsibility. You have a job to do in the classroom and you get paid to do that job. Now this is fake money, of course, but you get to pay, get paid to do that job. And then there are things that you need to do that you are responsible for with that money. So sure, there are incentives and things that they can buy that they may want, right from a treasure kind of thing um, in the classroom but they got to pay rent every week. And so she has a certain day of the week that certain bills are due. And in this video, she's sharing, today is rent day. I'm going to take your money. No. Yeah, I'm taking your money. Anybody know what today is? Yeah. Raise hands, what's today? Oh, yeah. yeah. It is. What bill do you have to pay today? House. House. Huh? House. Light bill? Learning. A water bill? Learning. No, not a learning bill. You're not paying tuition. You yes. You have to pay me rent. You have to pay me for that nice desk you got and that nice blue chair that you are sitting in. Gotta remember how much rent costs, Jason. $5. So I don't care how you pay it. I don't care what bills you give me. I don't care what it is or if it's got sticky boogers on it. Yep, you're paying me five dollars. Because if your hey, if your rent is late, that's a fine. So oh, a fine. What can you get a fine for? Late work, breaking things, or disrespect? So if your rent is late, I will fine you another dollar, which means instead of five dollars, it is six dollars. It's all an exercise in math in learning currency. But imagine the skills that these third graders are learning around budgeting. I can't go buy that toy in the treasure chest because I have the money to do it unless I also make sure I have kept some aside to make sure that I can pay rent on whatever day rents do. I love this exercise. I think it's amazing. She's teaching these children real world skills while teaching them math. They're having to figure out how do I make fives? I think there was one example when one of the kids came up and had two $10 bills and I think a $15 bill, right? It's fake money. And he said, I don't have $5. And she says, yes, you do. You have a $10 bill. So I can give you, you can give me the 10 and I will give you $5 back in change, right? So they're learning how currency works. Unfortunately, so many adults have never been taught how to think this way. I remember when I was in my 20s, I was working at the post office in the sorting facility in Memphis. 
I was in training with about 10 other people who had started at the same time that I was. We were sitting in the manual sort because that's kind of where we did when we weren't in training on the machine that we were going to work on eventually. We had to be in the manual sort, you know, the big box with lots of little boxes and you're sorting the mail by zip code. But somehow we got on the discussion about like overdraft fees or something like that. And I remember one girl that I worked with, she said the first time that she got a bank account, you know, years before that, the first time she got a bank account, she got, you know, put money in the bank, got her bank account and they gave her checks and nobody had taught her how to do banking. Right. So she got a bank account because she knew she needed to. It was, I think the job she had before was like her first job she had ever had. And so she needed to have somewhere to put the money right in the bank, but they gave her checks. And so she was like, I was just writing checks. They gave me checks and I figured as long as I had checks in my checkbook, I could spend money. So she said, I'm buying gas, I'm buying groceries, I'm buying clothes, I'm buying whatever. And all of a sudden I get my bank statement, I've got overdraft fees and, and I don't have any money because it's, I, I'd spent it all. But she didn't realize, she said, nobody told me that I had to keep track of what I was spending. Nobody told me that I could only spend what I put in. Nobody had told her that. Nobody had taught her any of that. And she was at such a disadvantage as a young adult. She wasn't, she was probably right around my age and I was in my early twenties at the time. But I had, my parents had explained that stuff to me. I had learned that, right? Nobody taught her. And I think that's so true for so many young adults going into life on their own. I hope it's something that we're doing right with, with our daughter. She has a bank account. We keep track of it, but she knows she can't overspend in that. Thankfully, she's adjusted to having that and she likes to see money in her bank account. So while she'll go spend money, she's kind of got a number in her mind already. She doesn't want her bank account to go below that. So she will stop spending when it gets anywhere close to that. And I think that's great because I can't say that that came from me. That is not, I was one who would run it down to zero, but she's learning from her dad a little bit better than me because he kind of has that same thing of this threshold in there, just like a mental threshold that even if it's $500 or whatever, that's basically zero, right? So if it's getting close to that, and that's just that cushion for the whatever may happen, some kind of emergency that may happen, or or maybe it's not an emergency, but I just forgot that this was going to come out automatically and because it's an annual expense, right? So it's just that cushion that just makes them feel safe that they're not going to overdraw their account. So that's something that I think, um, one, again, it can be taught. And so many of us feel we're just not good with money. But it's not that we're not good with money. Nobody taught us how to manage it, how to plan it, how to save it, how to live within our means, how to make sure that we've planned for the future and how to keep from overspending. I want to wrap up this episode with a scripture that came to mind as I was preparing it. And I've looked at how I could weave this story into what I had to, to discuss today. And I haven't been able to really pigeonhole it directly in, but it came to mind. So I know it's important. And I think what this scripture really represents is that even in our lowest money, m money moments, that was perfect. Even in our lowest moments of feeling that lack and feeling 
unsure of the future, feeling like we just can't make ends meet, that there's just no way out, that our debts are too high, that we just can't, we just feel crushed by it, that there is always something we can do, and that is take it to God. Ask him for the strategy. Ask him to not just poof, give you money in your bank account, but tell me how to earn what I need. Tell me how to save. Show me how to plan what I do have so that I don't run out. We get to take that to him. He wants to partner with us in that. And he's ready and willing to help you. And I think that this story in Second Kings is a perfect example of that. So I want to read it to you now. It's Second Kings 4, 1 through 7. It says, One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatened to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in your house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and your neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she called to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Isn't that a beautiful story, a beautiful example of how in our need, when we ask God, what should we do? We ask for support, we ask for guidance, and we listen and obey that he provides. He didn't just give her the money to pay off the debts. He gave her the strategy to make money to pay off the debt. I know within my business, I'm constantly asking God, what is the strategy? What do I do? How do I structure this offer? What are the words that I need to use? How do I do this? What's priority today? And Holy Spirit gives me the answer. Holy Spirit gives me the strategy. And that is why my business continues. Because I ask and I obey. This widow asked and she obeyed. And she was able to pay off the debts so her sons would not be sold into slavery. And she was able to have enough left over to live on, to go and buy more olive oil for herself. So I hope that this is encouraging to you, that just because you don't know right now how to manage the money, how to plan for the future, just because you don't know right now doesn't mean you'll never know. 
just means you need to seek out the guidance. You need to go learn. Take the time to learn. Make it important to learn. Make it a priority. To change that from, I'm just not good with money, to I'm learning how to manage my money. Because that shift is a great bridge to I'm good with money. I'm great with money. Eventually you can get there. But let's start with, I'm learning to manage my money. And you can grow into this new belief that you manage your money well. And you can create more money anytime you want. My challenge for you today is to seek God's wisdom in all that I have shared with you and to dig deeper into the lies that you believe about money and to even rewrite your personal money story. I've created a training module within the Dream Launcher membership called Money Mindset Mastery. In this module, you will uncover more false beliefs and develop your own empowering new beliefs that will propel you forward in your financial endeavors. Invest in yourself by joining the Dream Launcher membership. You can do that by going to stephanieferrara.com forward slash dream. If you're enjoying the Dream Launcher podcast, I'd love to know, would you give us a follow and a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify? And if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe and hit that bell so you don't miss the next episode.